Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, January the 13th, 2024. It is currently 10.02 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where the weather is out of control. Earlier this afternoon, even mid-afternoon maybe, Now, I've heard different reports, somewhere between 62 to 64. Someone else said it was around 69. It was in the 60s here in West Texas. The sky was blue. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. It was 60-something degrees, the way life is supposed to be. And then all of a sudden, it felt like within minutes, I know that's probably not absolutely correct. But in a very short period of time, we went from 60 something to 43 degrees. It was just like, boom. Now, currently right outside, right behind me, right outside this window. Currently I'm looking, it is 22 degrees. It was sixties. It was in the sixties today. Now it's 22 degrees and the temperature is going to drop and drop and drop because this out of control winter, I don't know what it is, winter apocalypse has, well, invaded Texas. It should not be allowed to do that. Someone should be controlling it. Someone should be stopping it. But obviously it's out of, well, my control. It's out of your control because no one can stop it. It may be under the control of someone or something, but it's out of our control, right? That's the way the weather works. We can't control it. Now, my transition. Let's talk about control. No, not... Okay, I was going to make a music reference. I was going to make a music reference. First name's Janet. Last name, Jackson. Okay, but we're not going to talk about that kind of control. All right, all right. I I know, I apologize. Sometimes music references just just come pouring in. Okay, I got to stop. I got to stop myself. All right, but no, really, in all seriousness, let's talk about control. Let's talk about control. Now, first, I want to imagine your life before you became a Christian. I want you to really think about your life before you became a Christian. I mean, come on. Now, you may have been doing some really, really horrible things, but I'm just talking on a daily basis, just your everyday, go to work, do this, do that, do that. Do you feel that you were in control or do you feel you were out of control and something else was controlling you? You had no control. You had lost all control and you couldn't, I mean, you just, you you would just start yelling at people, screaming at people, punching people. You, you had no control or did you sometimes talk about self-control, developing self-control, learning self-control? And what is self-control for a person who's not saved? How much control? What was controlling you before you were saved? How did you understand the idea of control as, it, as far as it related to yourself? Did you think about it? Did you did you talk about it? Did you ever stop to consider it from a philosophical perspective? What is controlling me? Am I in control or is something else controlling me? What is really controlling me? And then when you became a Christian, when you became a Christian, I don't know when it was. 
for me, it was October. It was an October uh, night, uh, Tuscola, Texas, right? That's when I became a Christian. I don't know the exact date, but it's October, somewhere in the 1980s. I was a teenager. Boom, I was saved. Now, the question is, now forget about me. Now think about you. After you became saved, did all of a sudden you wake up going, whoo, something else is now controlling me. Something else is controlling me and I can't do what I want to do. And I can't do the things I, I want to do. In fact, I want to do something. To, and all of a sudden you felt like that. Now you, something is absolutely controlling you. Something outside of yourself is controlling you or something inside of you is controlling you, but I'm, something else is controlling. And, and like you felt the difference. It was like night and day. You, you're now the most in control person that, well, anyone who's not saved looks at you and go, how do you have so much control? And you're like, well, something else is controlling me. And all of a sudden now, boom, you don't have bad thoughts and boom, you don't get mad and boom, you don't smart out. You don't, you're not a smart aleck and boom, you're not using sarcasm and all your words are filled with love and peace and, and long suffering and, and all of it. And you love people and it's just like everything. I mean, you're, you're borderline perfect because something else is controlling you. Did you experience that? So what was controlling you before you were saved? And now here's the question, really, really the real question. What is controlling you on this January the 13th, 2024 at 10.08 p.m. Central Time? What is controlling you? Now, if you look up the definition for the word control, I'm looking at Merriam-Webster. Merriam-Webster. We read this. Control, controlled, controlling. To exercise restraining or directing influence over. Regulate, controls one's anger. So whatever is controlling, it's exercising, it restrains. It, in other words, if something is controlling, you're like, I'm going to do, oh, but something restrains you. Something pulls you back. You're like, I'm going to, and something, something restrains you. Like you, you've got anger and it's, and yeah, but something holds it back. Something controls it or it directs influence over like control would be like, nope, you're not going to do that, but you're going to do this. And you all of a sudden want to do that, which you may not even want to do. You're being controlled. To have power over, to rule. Does something have power over you? Something has completely taken over and controls you. To reduce the incidence or severity of especially, of, uh, of especially to innocuous levels. So it basically is to reduce something or, or to reduce the severity of something. To incorporate suitable controls. We know what it is to control something. We know what it is maybe to be controlled. Oh, they've lost control of the situation. They lost control of the, over the team. And that's why the coach was fired. They lost control over the church. You know what control is. So what is controlling you? Now, that's Merriam-Webster. Now, we're going to go to a Christian article. But I will put forth at least the hypotheses that kind of a 
a typical philosophical and ideological understanding within the world of Christianity. You could, you may want to even call it a theological. Sometimes I don't know how theological it is. It's more kind of an ideological philosophical idea is that here you are, you're lost and you're under the control of the sinful nature. It dominates, it controls. And then when you become saved, dun, 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 something else takes control. And that's the Holy Spirit. It now takes control. Now, that sounds good. It preaches good. But if the Holy Spirit was in control, there's no way you could sin. Unless you can rebel or break the control of the Holy Spirit. And if, if you can break the control of the Holy Spirit, well, then you would be the one in control. So when you become saved, are you now under the control of the Holy Spirit? And if you are, well, then two Christians married should have the, the greatest marriage in the history of humankind because you're both controlled by the Holy Spirit. You as a parent, you should be the greatest parent in the history of parents because you are under the control of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. You should never lose your temper. You should never use sarcasm. You should never say a harmful word. Churches should be place, places of complete peace and unity because everyone in the church is under the control of the Holy Spirit. Pastors should never say anything incorrect from the pulpit. People in the pew should never be thinking anything incorrect. There should be no selfishness. There should be no greed. There should be no fighting. There should be no war. There should be no division because we're all under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now we preach it as if we are all under the control of the Holy Spirit. At the same time, we have to explain why and everything we do, it seems like the Holy Spirit has lost complete control. Now, I have an article in front of me entitled The Advantages of a Spirit-Controlled Life. It's going to give us the advantages, the, advant the advantage, the advantages, plural, but the advantage we get of being, of a Spirit-Controlled Life. Here are the advantages that you get, that you and I get being controlled by the Spirit. Now, that, so it assumes, hey, the Spirit-Controlled Life is a possibility, and here are the advantages we get from it. What advantage, what advantages do you experience because you have a life that is controlled by the Holy Spirit? And if, the, and again, I would question, I, I can think of a lot of advantage, advantages that should be present if the Holy Spirit's really controlling it. I, I just kind of made references to some of them. If the Holy Spirit is controlling me, I'm sorry, it should be like, basically, I'm sinless. Not just sinning less, I should be almost sinless. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit controlling me. Third person of the Trinity, omnipotent, holy, controlling. <laughs> I think there would be lots of advantages, plural, and, and a great advantage of having the Holy Spirit control my life. But let's see what the article puts forth. And let's hear, because... I think the article is going to put forth a pretty standard 
idea that's present in the Christian world. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. But we're about to find out. So here we go. First paragraph. Perhaps you've noticed how we can become our own worst enemies at times. Or let me, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm using a plural where it's a singular. Perhaps you have noticed how we can become our own worst enemy at times. For example, whenever we obsess over things that bother us, our feelings start to spin out of control. And every time we give into ungodly desire, we place ourselves under the oppressive power of our sinful nature. Life would sure be less complicated without worry and temptation. Thankfully, we will never be worried or tempted in heaven. But since we are not yet in paradise, we must remain vigilant. They quote James 1, 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire uh, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James 1, 13 through 15. Next paragraph. Do you have any idea what your life would look like If you lived under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we were doing a Bible study exercise, I would stop right there and I would tell you to write down 10 things that would be true of your life if you were living under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, this seems to imply that, hey, you may be saved and not yet living under the control of the Holy Spirit. So there's a way you can live under the Holy Spirit, but guess who has to live under the control of the Holy Spirit? You do it. So you're really in charge of it. It's like, this is almost the picture churches preach. This is almost the picture your church probably teaches. Hey, here's the Holy Spirit. It's power. It's holy. I mean, it's the third person of the Trinity. The the Holy Spirit is, you know, it's not an it, but it referencing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has this power and this holiness, but you can have its control, but you have to somehow submit to its control. It's like the Holy Spirit's there going, hey, I want to control you. I want to be completely in control of your life. But, you know, all I can do is just kind of wait here. And then when you show up and go, okay, you can be control. Oh, then, oh, I can be in control. Thank you. And then the Holy Spirit's in control. And we're off to victory and peace. And it's wonderful. It's rainbows. It's unicorns. It's Skittles. Life is wonderful. And then all of a sudden, then it's dark. Dark clouds, thunderstorm, hurricane, tornado, hellstorm, wildfire. It's disaster. What happened? Well, you know, you stop wanting me to be in control. So the Holy Spirit can't be in control until we allow it to be in control. And at any point, we can take control. It's like we're like in, you know, do you remember driver's ed, right? Right. Do you remember driver's ed? You could be driving, but at any point, the, 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 the teacher could take control, could, could hit the brakes, could, could do something. Do you remember that? So is that the way the Holy Spirit only, the Holy Spirit really gets to control the car only when we allow it. And then we can say, stop, that's it. I'm taking control. And then we can take control at any time. At that point, who's really in control? But what would be the, what would, what would, what would your life look like if you lived under the control of the Holy Spirit? Come on. What would it look like? I, to me, the only way I could describe, if I am under the control of the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit, 
Third person of the Trinity, that's deity. That's God. That's holy. That's omnipotent. That's omniscient. That's all of the, the attributes of God. Well, then I, my life should look like, I don't know, like I don't, it can't get much more. I don't know how it could not be perfect, but let's see what they have to say. Do you have any idea what your life would look like if you lived under the control of the Holy Spirit? If you are a believer in Jesus, then you have started to experience this spiritual dynamic firsthand. So if you're a Christian, you've already started to experience this. But the weird thing is you've only started to experience it. So I don't really know. Like the Holy Spirit seems to have a hard time getting control. The Apostle Paul wrote, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Yet you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, Paul seems to say it's a done deal. You now, you now live under the control of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, then if it's a done deal, then dun, dun, da, da, sinless perfection should be present. But that same Paul, who's, who wrote that, if I remember correctly, he wrote these words. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Next verse. For I do not... For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. And then Paul says at the end of, and that's all Romans chapter seven, the end of Romans seven, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul seems to speak of this inability and this reality that's in us. There's a want to, but we we never can perform it. We never do it. So with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. With my mind, I understand what I'm supposed to do, what's right and what's wrong. But in my flesh, I continue to serve this, the, I continue to serve the law of sin. Now, many Christians come along and go, well, Paul wasn't saved at that time. That's the that's the words of a lost person. And then he gets saved in chapter eight. And then dun 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 superpower, and you never commit sin again. Oh, but they'll say, well, now, I mean, you, you you're still gonna sin. Well, I don't know how I can sin if I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit. Because then you if the Holy Spirit's in control and I'm sinning, well, that that would be either one, you calling into question the power of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit was the one controlling the sin. You get into all kinds of difficult situations. The article goes on to say, when you receive Jesus as your savior, your body became a temple of the Holy Spirit. The instant you were converted is the moment the Holy Spirit began to take control. So according to this, the minute you were saved, the Holy Spirit began to take control. Now, I don't understand how it begins. So the Holy Spirit's like, okay, all right, here's how it's work. I'm going to take control. And it can only take control a little bit at a time. So which part does it take control of at first? Does it take control of your mind? Does it take control of your emotions? Does it take control of your desires? What does it take control of? The old you was put to death. Now, the old, the old me was put to death. The old me was put to death positionally or was the old death put to me, put to, put to death practically? 
Now, if the old me was put to death practically, then that means the sinful nature is dead. And if the sinful nature is dead, then even without the Holy Spirit, I should be able to live a sinless life because I don't have, I no longer have a sinful nature. And the new you rose up to live a new life. The new you is actually Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, if that is true practically, if practically I'm dead and Christ now lives in me, then there's no way I can commit sin. Unless, so if you, if you make that true practically, then sinlessness is the end result. If you understand that positionally, positionally, I am dead. Positionally, I live in Christ. The old me is gone. I stand in Christ, perfect, holy, free. That is my truth. That's my positional truth. Practically, I'm still sinning. And Christians have a hard time drawing this distinction. I think sometimes we take positional truth and try to argue that they're practically a practical reality. The only problem is anyone claiming to be a practical reality is lying to themselves. And over and over and over, Christianity for 2,000 years have shown what the practical reality is. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You sin. I sin. Uh, look, just if, if you don't if you don't believe it, look, look at how great everyone looks on a Sunday morning. Look at all the parents and look at how great, how holy they look, how godly they look. Oh, they say amen. They raise their hands for the praise songs. They may throw some money in the offering plate. Oh, they look good. They may sign up for small groups. They may be, oh, they look so nice. It's wonderful. Just all you got to do sometimes is talk to their kids. <laughs> the kids will say, mom and dad said this and mom did. And then dad got mad and then mom said this. And then, and then mom got mad one time and said this and then do this. And they talk about this and and that's not even if we could actually get into what's going on in their minds. It would probably be like, if we could take what's, if you could take that nice looking congregation and for five seconds flash what's really going on in their heart and their mind on the screen. It would be everybody in the in the church would scream and they'd be like, ah, and they would all run out. Oh, I know, I know, I know. That's not true because we're dead. And what, what? Positionally, you're dead. Practically, you're very much alive and your sinful nature is very much alive. That's why you continue to sin unless you're pretending that you don't. And you can pretend that you don't. Nothing good comes from pretending. But they go on to say, all right, now that you are free in Christ, you've started to experience joy of being set free from sin. So now you're free from sin. See, now again, they talk about this practically. If I am free from sin practically, then why do I sin? See, this is it's so weird how Christians preach this. You're dead to sin. You're, you're set free from sin. You now have the Holy Spirit. So if you, you've got literally a power source, the old is completely dead. I mean, we should literally be like, the, they should be on CNN right now going, look, the, the most perfect marriages, Christian marriages. The most perfect parents, Christian parents. The most perfect citizens, Christians. The, the place with the greatest unity and love and peace and joy, the church. No, they don't report that. They don't report that. In fact, I can go to a Christian website here. I can go to a Christian website. See here, I'm going to go to a Christian website. I'm just going to tell you what immediately headlines I see. This is a Christian website. All right. Uh, 
Okay, uh, well, that, that's talking about T.D. Jakes and these rumors about him being at some party. Like, I won't even give into all of that because that's a lot of hearsay, and a lot of things going on right here. Um, okay, exclusive. Woman says the International House of Prayer Kansas City founder Mike Bickle used prophecy to sexually abuse her. Now, that doesn't sound great, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, see, what else do we have here? Um A Chicago area megachurch pastor on leave due to the use of alcohol and concealment of wrongdoing. All right, let's see what else do we have here. Uh, BBC investigation, world-renowned uh, televangelist accused of repeatedly raping female disciples over decades. This is just stuff on, I just went to a Christian website and just start pulling up here. Just, just really quick. Just start, you know, just, I mean, like, it's just, and that's just immediately what's there. If I load more, I mean, oh man. Uh, there's someone else resigning because of some scandal. Um, let's see what else is happening here. Um, uh, Dallas area church leaves Acts 29, citing potential corruption. Pastor allegedly attacked and tried to deep fry wife's coworker. All right. This is just all on a Christian website. It's just a Christian web website. All right. Uh, Southern Baptists settle abuse law lawsuit against notable conservative leader. Right. Uh, theft charges dropped against a Tennessee celebrity pastor after churches pays disputed charges. I mean, I could just go on and on and on and on and on. That, that's the reality. And we don't, and I know what people say, well, they're not Christians. They're not Christians. They're not Christians. They're not. I mean, you can throw everyone out of the kingdom of God that you want. Sooner or later, you're going to wake up one day and realize, wait, I'm the only person left. And then you're going to look in the mirror going, what am I doing? I'm just as messed up of all the pe as all the people I've thrown out of the kingdom of God. It's just their scandal was public. Mine was private. Their sin was known. My sin was unknown. Their sin was this kind kind of sin. My sin was this kind of sin, but I'm a sinner just like they are. But yet we preach Sunday after Sunday. You've been set free from sin. Practically you're dead. You're the old man is dead. Practically you're free. Practically. Yeah. And then the reality, no, no, no. Those are positional realities. They go on to say, now that you're free in Christ, you started to experience the joy of being set free. In other words, you're now completely free to say no to temptation. Now, you're completely free. Now, according to this, you now have the ability to say no to all temptation, meaning you have the ability to be sinless. That is a typical Christian teaching. You now have the ability. So you should never sin ever again. Now, look, immediately people will say, well, yeah, I can say no to this. And okay, maybe, yeah, you pat yourself on the back on all the things you can supposedly say no to. Maybe you can say no to alcohol and drugs and pornography. Maybe you're like, man, you're, you're looking really good. But trust me, there's plenty of sin in your life and you know it. You can pretend all day. Do you love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? Well, you can say no to not loving God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, meaning that you can love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And I bet you've never pulled that off. And in fact, I know you haven't. Love your neighbor as yourself. Put others before you. Turn the other cheek. Resist not evil. Bless those that persecute you. 
I can go on and on and on. By the time you even just done with the Sermon on the Mount, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, come on. Come on, you know, be ye holy as he is holy. You're not pulling any of those off. So supposedly now you have the freedom to say no to sin. In addition to this, wait, there's more. Not only do you have now the ability to to say no to temptation, there is more. The fruit of the Spirit produced in the life of every believer who is living under the control of the Holy Spirit. So now, so now there's fruit being produced in you, but it's only for those who live under the control of the Holy Spirit. But I don't know why you're not living under the control of the Holy Spirit. Okay, all right. And this fruit is of the highest quality. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So according to this, if you live under the control of the Holy Spirit, then what your life should demonstrate is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You barely see those things in a church business meeting. The last item on that list is self-control. It is crucial to living a spirit-controlled life. When self is out of control, many problems develop. The advantage of the advantages of spirit-controlled life are numerous. The world cannot begin to provide the peace God gives you when the Holy Spirit is refreshing your soul. You should have a peace. See, see, now so once again, this is the kind of this is the thing that's preached that basically tells Christians, hey, you shouldn't have anxiety, you shouldn't have worry, you shouldn't have depression, you shouldn't have any mental health issues, you shouldn't have any pro- emotional issues, you should be, your marriage should be perfect, everything should be perfect with your kids, because this is the, re- you, you, you have the Holy Spirit, you've been set free, you, you're not, you're never going to sin, and, and you should have peace, you should have love, you should have joy. The world cannot begin to provide the peace God gives you when the Holy Spirit is refreshing your soul. The, those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. How so? By saying no to any thought, word, deed that grieves the Holy Spirit. Hey, you can say no to anything. And guess what? Then you get all of these things. You say no. Why? Because you can. And when you say no, dun, 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 you have all of these things, which pretty much would make someone sound like they are perfect. The greatest advantage of living a spirit-controlled life is the result. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Each one of us gets to choose. We can either dig in our hills as strong-willed, obstinate children or surrender our soul to God and grow in spiritual maturity. Jesus washes away our sins and fills us with the Holy Spirit when we confess our sins to the Lord uh, and, and Christ alone for salvation. So what do you say? Would you like to yield yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit? If so, you will first need to trust Christ as your Savior. Apart from saving faith in Jesus, it is impossible to live a spirit-controlled life. Oh, and I knew it. I knew they were going to go Andrew Murray. You can almost feel the Andrew Murray thing coming. You you can almost feel when Andrew Murray is about to show up. He, he has so influenced the minds of the evangelical world. It's insane. But see, you see the way, hey, oh, now, do you want this? Do you want this? It's right here. Now, the Holy Spirit will take control. You'll get all these advantages. Now, now you've got you've to surrender. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. Now, I, so I'm the one really in control. But I guess if I surrender once, is that good enough? No, I got to keep surrendering. So we always, this is the weird thing. We sell this Christianity. Well, you're, the old man is dead. You can say no to temptation. The Holy Spirit will control you. You have all of this stuff. But we always have to have an ace up our sleeve to explain why it's not working. Oh, well, because you did this and you did. It's always your fault. 
Hey, hey, why, why do you not have all of these things in your life? Well, it's your fault. You're not surrendering. It's your fault. You keep fighting for control. It's your fault. Well, wait a minute. I thought the old man was dead. If the old man was dead and the sinful nature is gone, then what is causing me to keep rebelling against the control of the Holy Spirit? And how, how much control does the Holy Spirit have if I can kick him out whenever I want? I'm the one in control then. But, but nobody bothers to explain any of this. But they're going to quote Andrew Murray. He was a South African writer, teacher, and pastor. He wrote, It is not as if we had to seek to have more of the Spirit. We have him in the fullness of the gift as it is. It is rather the Holy Spirit who must have more of us. As we yield ourselves entirely to him, he will entirely fill us. It is from within that the blessing must come. The fountain of living water is already there. The fountain has only to be opened and every obstruction cleared and the water shall stream forth. It will. It must spring from within. See, now the Holy Spirit's there. He will do all this, but you've got to do it. You've got to surrender. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. Okay, so literally I'm in control of him being taking control. But even if I surrender everything and he takes control, obviously I can take control back whenever I want to take control. So I don't even know how much control he really has. But if he has control, I'm pretty much perfect. So if I'm not perfect, it's because I haven't taken, given him control. So literally, no matter what you do, it's your fault. <laughs> it's your fault. But And supposedly it's really bad that you're doing it because the whole old man is dead. You've been completely set free and you have the ability to say no to every temptation. So I don't know what is causing you to keep fighting the control that God could take, but he can't take because you keep controlling because you, well, someone is in control. And I believe... There's more to the article, but I'm just going to stop right there because there's not much more here. And we, we, we've talked about this a few years ago. All right. We, we talked about this a few years ago. Let me see here. Um, Absolute Surrender. That's the famous book by Andrew Murray. Absolute Surrender, 18, 1895. Absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. I, I was exposed to that book m numerous times as an independent fundamental Baptist. Have you read Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray? Oh, that book changed my life. I'm like, I know you. You haven't absolutely surrendered to anything. Okay, whatever. Okay, well, <laughs> but, but it's this idea that, hey, hey, like, here's your Christian life. Okay, now, now that you're saved, now here we go. We got to enter into this new thing. Absolute surrender. Well, wait a minute. I thought in Christ, the old man is already dead. The Holy Spirit's already taken control. Well, no, the, see, the Holy Spirit moved in, but he hasn't taken control because you haven't given control. So then I, I remember, I think as a teenager hearing this, I, I, I bought some book that was for teenagers at the time. And it was like, okay, think of your life as a house, right? So you, you, you've invited Jesus in, but now you got to take him to each room and give him control. So here's the entertainment room. Have you given Jesus control of your entertainment? Here's your thought life. And so, and then you, you take him from room to room to room to room to room. And you say, okay, Jesus, do what you want. And then boom, he cleans it all up. And then dun, 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 your house belongs to God and you're basically perfect. Now, the only problem is I tried and tried and tried and tried. And I know I was a teenage boy and maybe, 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 maybe I, you know, saying too much, but let's just say, hmm, I had some serious sin problems. Oh, wait, I'm a grown man. I still have serious sin problems. If we're going to define sin biblically, which is any 
lack of conformity to the perfect holiness of God, which requires internal and external obedience to the perfect law of God without any deviation. It must be perfect. It must be external, internal, and it must be perpetual. Well, then at that point, I'm in a constant state of sin. Who's in control? I don't know if anybody really wants to talk about this in the church. We want to, pre- we want to sell something. It's like, it's like, you know, one of those people selling a timeshare. Hey, would you like to be able to go here and it's on a beach and it's wonderful and it's great. And you're like, oh, this timeshare sounds awesome. Yeah, I'll buy a part of the timeshare. And then you don't realize that with the timeshare, they can throw in these charges and there's all these. We sell Christianity like, hey, come to Jesus and dun, 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 dun. All those bad things inside of you are dead, gone, no more. They don't exist anymore. You are a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. Practically. Now, we we forget the positional part. In fact, we take positional truths and apply them to practical realities, and we sell it that way, and then someone wakes up one day and goes, none of this stuff is working out the way it was supposed to. Well, nobody cares because they've already moved on to the next person to sell Christianity to, okay? But so then you're like, I need someone to get me out of my timeshare because this is horrible. This is not like someone sold it to me. I know, because we sell it this way. No, yes, you are a new creature. The old is gone and everything is new. Positionally. Practically, the old is still very much there. It's right in here. Right here. My flesh, it's right here. My mind is right here. All of me is right here. And it manifests itself over and 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 over. Just think about this week. What are some things you said this week that clearly wasn't holy, righteous, corrupt communication proceeded out of your mouth? Come on. What did you say? How did you respond to your husband this week? Was it godly, holy, edifying? How about your children? Did you get angry? Did you get mad? Did you say something? Forget what you said. What were you thinking this week? Was it holy, righteous? Come on, come on, come on, come on. What did you say when you were driving? Maybe about people in traffic. How about people you work with? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Tomorrow when you get to church, are you going to shake someone's head and go, how you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? But in reality, you don't like them and you hold bitterness against them. Come on. You can be honest with me. There's positional realities and there's practical realities. We sell this, and even that article sells the idea of the Holy Spirit being in control. But guess where the article really left the control? The control is all on you. So the Holy Spirit can be in control as long as I let the Holy Spirit be in control, which means I'm in control. It makes literally no sense. And how am I controlling God? And if I have the power, even without the Holy Spirit, I mean, what they literally claimed in that article is because you're saved and because now your old nature is dead, you literally have the power to say no to temptation. That's even before you even start mentioning now the Holy Spirit moving in and having power. You can say no just as a result of the old nature being dead. I mean, I don't know how you you preach that and then somehow account for all the sin in your life and the, uh, the, the life of all the people in your congregation. Oh, I want it to be true so bad. I wish I could just wake up one day and all my sinful nature is just gone. Boom. And all I desire is, is godliness and, and my life is filled with love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I wish all that, that all that was true. 
Now, who is in control? Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. It is now 10.42 p.m. on a Saturday night. I'm supposed to be at church and, well, it feel like just, you know, what, eight hours, nine hours, nine and a half hours, something along those lines, 10 hours, I don't know. And the next, yeah, well, definitely, uh, yeah, less than 12 hours, less than 12 hours. I'm horrible in numbers. I could figure out the numbers, but I'm not going to worry about it. Soon. Now, there's a lot of things I don't control. I don't control what the weather's going to do. I don't control who's going to show up. I can try to control if I'm prepared. How much do we really control in our own life? I don't something to think about. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.